All right, good morning, afternoon, whenever the heck you're listening to this from. It is Wednesday, October 27th. This is episode 30, which I'm pretty thrilled about. It's been a pretty fun experiment so far. And woo. The, yeah, woo. The, <laughs> I guess we're going to start this one off with something interesting because we touched on last time. PayPal officially put in that they gave up their bid on Pinterest. We talked about that for a little bit, about how PayPal was kind of trying to become like an all-encompassing uh, payment processing and they want to do a whole bunch of other stuff. So they kind of gave up. I guess they realized it may have been a little out of their wheelhouse staying in their lane. So is what it is. That was like the tidbit I wanted to lead off on because we're going to do finance and investment first. And before you guys weigh in on that, because I know you both have opinions, we're probably going to have to take a halftime in this episode because we have so much good stuff to go over. So be expecting that it's going to be two seconds of your time and a little more of ours. But either way, heads up. Yep, jam-packed show here today for the 30th. Um, excited to bring it to you. And starting off right away with uh, the PayPal giving up their bid for Pinterest. Um, can't say I'm not surprised uh, entirely. If I was Pinterest, uh, I think it's a good move to hold out and not sell to PayPal. Um, I don't even know how much, how, many, how much capital PayPal has to work with. Neither do I. But all I could think of is that Pinterest is a great buy for Facebook. I can't believe they haven't snapped them up yet. It makes perfect sense. It's like right yeah. in their offering. On paper, I would just assume that paper or Pinterest was already under uh, Facebook's, you know, uh, catalog of, of different apps and services. So I, I am surprised that they're not already owned by Facebook. Maybe that's what they're holding out for. Probably. I mean, they've just been snapping up everything off the top of your head. Do you, is LinkedIn owned by Facebook? That also wouldn't surprise me, but I don't think they are. Um, I'm gonna do a quick Google, but I do not think so. I feel like they're kind of their own thing, but at the same time, I know Facebook's trying to do their like crazy metaverse idea where they, they, they just want to be like their own universe and have all these different apps looped under theirs. And it obviously started with Instagram and they've just been picking up, they've been picking up companies like crazy just over and over and they kind of all recreate them into the same thing, but everyone likes different stuff and different feels. So they've got like the same offering for all different kinds of people. It's become really strange. It kind of freaks me out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, LinkedIn has been a wholly owned subsidiary of Microsoft actually since December of 2016. So oh, they, they are Microsoft. That's smart. They're definitely not gonna sell that. So LinkedIn makes their money because they have like a premium offering where you can go on there and say, all right, I wanna know exactly who's looking me up. Like I'm trying to find jobs or I'm trying to find employees and you get all these crazy data analytics. So Microsoft's probably making a decent chunk of change off them. Yeah, I would imagine. And then I know anyone in the recruiter space pays for Recruiter Plus and Recruiter Premium, and those definitely are not cheap either. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, speaking of LinkedIn, actually, the first thing that I wanted to talk to you guys about today is interesting. Is I ran into an article on LinkedIn. It was, I don't know if it was a LinkedIn-sponsored article, but the guy writing it was, he, he did some really good like uh, research basically about how hard it is to become an influencer. And this is a very interesting topic to me because I know our generation pretty much, we're like, the we were the beginning of the influencer culture type of thing. There's a bunch that are in their 30s, more in their 20s, but the majority of them I'd say are like 21 and under. So we're kind of outside that. But what he was talking about is that like everyone thinks they're going to be one and it's nearly impossible. Like by the numbers, it's pretty much impossible to make a living just off having a following on social media. And in kind of like a cynical way, this made me really, really happy because I was like, wow, great. At what point do we finally start seeing this and give the heck up on the influencer life? It's goofy. It's stupid. Not everyone can be an influencer. We can't all do this. We all have to get stuff done eventually. And then maybe the prices will start going down. Yeah, this um, has always been something that has confused me and kind of uh, driven me a little bit crazy. 
uh, just because I see different people who, you know, recently graduate college and within a month or two, they declare on Instagram, <laughs> I am now an, an influencer. Like they declare it as if, you know, they just signed up for a new job and just because they put it in their bio and made their profile public, now they're an influencer. It's yeah, <laughs> like, not how it works. To be an influencer, you need to have, you need to influence people. And to do that, you need a following. And to do that, you essentially need to be famous or somewhat something along those lines so I, I mean like i cannot go on instagram and just declare i am now an influencer <laughs> pay me yeah people seem to forget like the, the the reason why these people make money is because they're promoting products is that companies see them as a giant outlet they say oh my god this person can get they, they can get me an extra two thousand sales a month just by posting something that they think is interesting on instagram and boom they've got thirty thousand people see it and of those thirty thousand two thousand go out and actually buy the darn thing but it you don't get paid just to live your life and do your thing. Nobody's paying you for that. There's no value offering. You're getting paid because you're driving like views basically to other products. So I think we've kind of we've kind of lost the uh, the value of the whole thing. But it'll be really interesting. I was trying to predict when I thought it would burn out. The issue is that the internet's only become more prevalent and views have only become more important, especially in the marketing world. My guess was that we would all kind of start to see it for what it really is because I think we're smarter than we think we are. 2025. I'm going to give it four years and I think it's going to burn out and everyone's going to be like, ah, okay, well, we're going to move on from now. Yeah, I agree. If not sooner. I mean, whenever I see products advertised, it's because my favorite comedian, Burt Kreischer, is telling me to go buy a tushy. Love that guy. <laughs> I'm like, Love you know what? Guy. Maybe I do need a bidet. Burt's right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's not because I see some 23-year-old with no life experience say, you should totally check this product out. Right. It's someone that you see as having value or knowing what they're talking about. All right. So I, my question for you guys is, what is the most ridiculous thing you've been convinced to buy off of any kind of social media through the ads or anything like that? Oh, that's tough. Joey, you're a big buyer. I know you've done a bunch. Matt, you're probably less so, but I almost want to predict yours. Oh, I got mine. I, yeah. I know exactly what mine is. I'm sure you're ready. All right, Joey, go first. Yours are going to be crazy. All right. You can give us a top mine, five. <laughs> mine has to be uh, the Iron Man helmet I bought from Russia. That's a good it one. It was though. like $300. And it's it's pretty sweet. I mean, it lights up. It's automated. You just touch the ear and the, and the face lifts up like you're actually Tony Stark. So that, that was pretty cool. Um, but it was expensive. And that was uh, facilitated through PayPal. Um, I've been pretty close to buying a Toshi, like I just said, uh, purely because Tom Segura and Burt Kreischer tell me to every Monday and Wednesday when I watch their podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I've been pretty close to buying um, some kind of blanket. I can't remember, but it's it's been thrown at me a couple of times here. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I could use a new blanket. And this was an expensive blanket. Oh, another one. <laughs> I bought a $200, might have been more. It's called a moon pod. Essentially, it's just a really shitty beanbag. Like, <laughs> it was called a moon pod. So I was like, of course I need a moon pod. That's awesome. And now it's I regret it because I never use it and it sucks. And I should have just bought a love sack. Oh, that's great. Oh, you shoot. You have like the lazy boys, which are incredible. But those things are like 500 bucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wasted my money on the moon pod. Don't buy moon pods. <laughs> that's great. All right, Matt, you're up. <laughs> So mine's nowhere as cool as that, but because I'm always going through flashcards all day long, smashing the enter button, 
I got a gigantic foam enter button that sits on my <laughs> desk and I can smash with my head or my fist or whatever it may be as hard as I want and it hits the enter button for me. It's no great way. if you do coding or if you're just doing flashcards like me, but it's fantastic. Okay, so it actually hooks up to your computer and you can just hit it really hard? Mm -hmm. It plugs into a USB port and I can like smash my fist into it like I'm Thor and then like it works. <laughs> I think that's a lot of value. That's good. <laughs> Mine's not... and productive. Yeah, seriously, because you definitely need that if you're still grinding through school. Oh my God, I don't know how you do it. Mine's, mine's not great. I have, I bought a watch one time. So like these watches get advertised really, really well. And I said, oh my God, this is amazing. This watch is like 50 bucks. It looks amazing. I got it. And it was like barely functional piece of garbage. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. And uh, then the second one is I got the indestructible shoes, which I actually adore. So they've been advertising these to me for like a year until I finally got some for Christmas. I was like, I asked for it for Christmas. I was like, hey, everyone I know, this is what I want. They're like a hundred bucks, they're incredible. And I got me a pair of indestructible shoes and they're awesome. They're like boots without the ridiculousness of boots. They have Kevlar wrapping, they have steel toes and you literally cannot puncture the bottom. They're absolutely incredible. And But the thing is, once I made the purchase, they were never advertised to me again. They literally saw it, they're like, ah, oh, we got them, moved on. <laughs> That's Awesome. And yeah. it's funny that you brought up watches because that did jar another stupid purchase of mine from uh, that was advertised to me. I actually joined, uh, I don't know if anyone out there knows what Watch Club is, but essentially you sign up and it's a recurring subscription and I joined the quarterly membership and I paid like a substantial amount of money um, and they send you a new watch every quarter and it was pretty cool, but they just like kept sending me the same watch kind of, except it just like was a different color and I just didn't dig the watches. And essentially it was a giant waste of money. And now I have like five watches that I never wear. And uh, their big selling point was they had a raffle for a Rolex giveaway every Friday. And I thought, you know, it's every Friday, you know, I'm probably going to win one. And no, no. Well, their whole value prop is that they probably buy the watches in bulk and they all buy the same brand. And so then they can just keep shipping you the same ones because they get a discount and they don't expect you to do anything about it or notice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was it was a waste of money. But, I think, I think know, that's funny. one of many pitfalls that I've thrown money into over the years. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, it is what it is. Like it's gone, sunk cost and all. But <laughs> yep. past it. Yep. I thought that was great. Okay, we can move on from that one. So the next one I wanted to hit is that Mastercard is buying Bakt, which is B A K K T. It is a cryptocurrency payment processing firm. And I think this is really interesting because I guess my, uh, Mastercard is one of the really big competitors is Visa. It's all these payment processing companies. So Visa announced a little while ago that they were really getting into the crypto space, DeFi. And so as soon as they did that, a bunch of the big banking firms kind of like, you know, got the fire lit under their ass. They're like, all right, we got to get moving on this because if you are not in the future, you get left behind. The issue was no one had taken the dive. As soon as one of the bigs takes the dive, everyone scrambles to get in. It's just it's how every gosh darn new industry starts and it kills me, but it is what it is. So they have basically come out with this partnership and the backed stock i i think it was two days ago or yesterday either way it was earlier this week whenever it came out it, it rose like 200 <laughs> percent as soon as they got the clearance that mastercard was going to be partnering with them mastercard went up like three percent something like that whatever but either way this was a this is the epitome of like a you had no idea this is coming and you would have made a fortune if you would have done that so um and this kind of uh this kind of comes to an interesting point of like 
when's the next one going to be purchased? Because now everyone's looking, they're saying like, okay, what's the next little thing that's going to get snapped up by one of the massive firms? Can we take advantage of that? Circle always comes to mind for me. Circle's a pretty big, they're, they're probably one of the biggest cryptocurrency payment processing firms. They actually have patented and like they mint USD coin, US dollar coin, something like that. And the entire purpose of it is to pretty much replicate the dollar exactly, but in a decentralized space. So when someone's like Bitcoin recreates the dollar, no, it doesn't. You've not been doing your research. This is meant to do that. And it's interesting because the Federal Reserve can't touch it. Yeah, that's one of those stable coins, right? Like exactly. It's, it's, like, it's based off like the US dollar and it's going to mirror it exactly. So like, I guess it's a great thing because we've always talked about like crypto is like your fun money. Like it's investing. You play around with it. It's money that you're willing to lose. Correct. But if we have these stable coins that parallel things that typically shouldn't rise or fall so much crypto all of a sudden doesn't just become fun money it becomes real and a real investment in place to put your money outside of the u.s government well i think the value of it comes to be as soon as you can actually physically exchange not physically as soon as you can actually exchange it for the goods and services that you need your dollars for that's when it becomes a mainstream thing that is immediately going to be taken over by the federal government because they can't stand anyone not giving them their piece of the pie. But we're actually going to talk about that one later because there's a great point one you put into our spreadsheet and it's going to be relevant later. So we're going to come back to that if that's okay with you guys. Sounds good. Yeah, it works for me. Awesome. I don't have the next one, so I can't wait to hear about it. Someone go for it. Yeah, so on Monday, Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, we've talked about BlackRock on this show before for uh, new listeners out there. They're a large, uh, John, are they real estate or are they just an investment firm? They're everything. They own everything. You think, you th like name something, BlackRock has a piece of it. They own everything. <laughs> That's literally how they make their money, just by owning stuff. So they have more real estate holdings than I think anyone else on the planet. In addition to, they have all these giant investment backings. They get their hand in all the governmental matters. They're huge. They own everything. Yep. So they're essentially the people in the shadows that own you. Yep. Um, they own funds so, and such that you can invest yep. in. Larry Fink, their CEO, said that it's his belief that the next 1,000 unicorns, and unicorns are defined as companies that have a market valuation over a billion dollars, won't be a search engine, won't be a media company. It will be businesses that are developing green hydrogen, green agriculture, green steel, green cement, anything in this green space for this green revolution. And his reasoning behind this um, is actually interesting. At first, you know, I was skeptical on what he said, um, but he said that getting to net zero carbon emissions by 2050, which is right now the goal of, I don't know if it's the world, but I know many, many businesses out there, some of the largest in the world, like uh, FedEx, um, several airlines, Microsoft, Google, all of them are trying to get to net zero carbon emissions. Um, so they're, they're setting the data at 2050. Um, things said it's going to require a revolution in the production of everything we produce. You're going to need a revolution in the process of creating fuel food, construction materials, um, all the needs that we have as humanity, it all has to be reinvented. And that's going to require a large amount of investment, he said, a large amount of ingenuity and a large amount of innovation. And Bill, Great, Bill Gates, uh, the CEO, or I guess chairman now of Microsoft, actually agrees. And he says that there will be eight to 10 new Tesla type companies to come out of this. There will be, you know, 
Microsoft, Google, Amazon type companies that come out of this space. That was a direct quote from Bill Gates himself. So just think about, don't think about companies that are already established. Think about new companies that are, that are going to pop up and that are going to be the next wave of Amazons. So his original statement, I think, is super misleading, but his you can tell by going through this that the man absolutely knows exactly what he's talking about. And I do agree on pretty much all of those points. So the misleading part is it says won't be a search engine, won't be a media company. Well, yeah, duh. Those are things that were prevalent in the early 2000s. It's a different we've gone through different evolutions and revolutions of industry. The new, like what we're doing now is one, everything has to be either digital and solve a digital problem to make your life a little bit better, or two, it has to solve a physical problem to make your life physically better as one of those two things. And we've done pretty much all the big things. It's the little innovations that change things a little bit. So working in the real estate space can be a little frustrating sometimes because as I'm always thinking future, how do we improve it? It's a world that has not actively really changed since like the 80s and now we're starting to inject a little bit of technology into it and so the biggest complaint that i always get from people is oh you know you just you can't rewrite these big concepts there's no way to do it and there's nothing that replaces it. i say i'm not trying to rewrite the big concepts you need to improve the small processes and the small processes will build something better over time if you try to come in and change things all at once like with the iphone it's gonna be really tough. That's why they kept the home button for so long. They could have taken it away forever ago. We talk about that a bunch too. It's one of my favorite stories. I it's I I also don't like the thousand unicorns thing. I mean, a thousand is just so many companies to say that you'd be successful. I think there's gonna be so many mergers and then we're gonna see a new evolution of just a few massive companies owning stuff. Like Think of the turn of the century. There was a few really big companies that pretty much crushed everything, knocked everything out of the park, and the rest were left to die because they were frauds. They all just had .com in their name, and then they died. Yep, I agree. I think what Bill Gates said is more accurate, 8 yep. to 10. Even then, that might be on the higher side of things. Just think about all the household large companies that we got out of the .com era. You think Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Apple. Facebook. Facebook. God, you throw Twitter, Snapchat, all the social media companies that did not exist. And MySpace was the first, and now that is dead and gone, way gone. But like the iterations that came out of it that improved upon it and that are constantly improving upon it. And now we have TikTok, which essentially took the Facebook and Instagram profile and said, well, what if we take the very best part of this program and made our program all about that? Nothing else, just the best part that people like the most. And what if we now take like, a, like an algorithm that can program, exa find exactly what people want and just give them more of what they want based on the same metrics you've been using and not using correctly. Same thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, the only difference though I do see between the dot-com era and this era though is just the idea of revolution. While the dot-com era was a revolution, it was kind of, you know, one industry. We were all focused on the internet, how to get online. Undoubtedly. And then obviously different industries emerged from that. You had the rise of social media, you had e-commerce in like different sub-industries. Now it's funny, history is almost repeating itself and we're going back to the the industrial age, we're going to have a new Carnegie that emerges and figures figures out how to make green steel and re reinvent that process. A new Rockefeller. Um, that's almost where my head went. The green steel is interesting. I, we did this several weeks ago, I know, where we talked about how Mercedes is currently trying to find the issue with that. And what they found is that they basically have to boost prices 20 to 25% on all of their end products if they're going to be using, quote, green steel. So the issue is not... 
that's that's phrased incorrectly. Trying to solve the big issue with a big solution is not going to work. It's going to be making the small processes efficient so that we can now still afford the end product. Because I think the cheapest Mercedes in the market is like $30,000. And Matt, I'm sure you're rolling your eyes. I can't see, but it's a crap car. Like it absolutely is. If you buy a 30,000 brand new Mercedes, you're going to get a bad product. It's not well made and it's going to fall apart. The same thing goes that if you buy the $120,000 Mercedes, you've spent the money, the money's been put into, that car's gonna treat you like a king. So people want these products at lower price points, but they don't want, like, if you spend less money, you're, you're getting a worse product. That's, that is what it is. We need to work on efficiency, not the big issue. Exactly. My point where it is though, is like you said, they'd have to raise it like 25%- At least. On all their products to put this in. And I think that's part of the issue is why people don't go into these things is because these companies see, well, to keep our same profit margins, we have to increase the prices of everything. I agree. And that's going to drive and it's going to drive people away. And that's why we're not doing it. But I think they're looking at it wrong. I mean, a lot of the companies that are succeeding right now, they're eating that cost and putting it in anyways, and that's driving people to them. So maybe they're not making as much on each individual product, but they're getting more products out the door. Okay, I'll buy that. I'll definitely buy that. We see the same thing in the real estate industry too. I hate to plug my own world too many times, but what's happening a lot is that all these developers and people who are building large buildings have to eat the costs of all of this labor and the ridiculous steel prices. They're unbelievable compared to what they used to be. Lumber, wood, anything like that. They have to just literally suck these costs up and say, we're going to have to make it back in the future so that as soon as everything does stabilize, that's when we jack the prices up. I don't know if most day-to-day -day sales companies like car companies can do that. I think because it takes a while to build their products and they have to rely on like a constant income, I think they just have to factor it into their product on the beginning. I mean, they already have such a high markup and look at Tesla and Rivian and Lucid and all these companies that are coming out with the top electric cars in the world yep. that are pushing the limits with R&D that's brand new. We're not taking a Civic and putting a new shell on it and selling it for 10,000 more dollars. We're making brand new things with whole new technology and they're selling it for $35,000 for the Model 3. The top of the you line Ford F-150 Lightning. To get it out the door. Yep, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And well, all right, you're proving my point here. The point was that Elon has completely made, he's made every single little piece of his operation as efficient as possible. And that's how he saves on cost. That's how you can get a Model 3 brand new for $30,000, even in this market. 32 maybe, but like, it's a better product and they are able to sell it at the price that you want it because they've made the little stuff like super efficient. I agree. All right. I think we beat the crap out of that one. What's uh? all right. We're moving on to tech finally. <laughs> Shoot. So we did a little bit of Facebook stuff. Uh, I think Joey, you're doing the Facebook connect, aren't you? Um, I'm not sure if Matt found this one or not, but I can talk about it. Certainly. It's up to you guys. Um, Otherwise we're moving on. Yeah. You no, got it, Joey. All right, yeah, the F Facebook is holding their annual uh, conference on Thursday. It's called Facebook Connect. Um, it's focused around the AR and virtual, I should elaborate, <laughs> augmented reality and virtual reality conference and uh, space. Essentially, they have a big hand in it. For anyone who doesn't know, they own the Oculus uh, virtual reality headset product line. Um, the Oculus Rift was the first of its kind really to become affordable for consumers. And since then they've really expanded the product line to include the Oculus Quest, which was the first headset to not require a ridiculous um, computer to be able to run. 
and then you have the Oculus Quest 2, which is more advanced than the original, and then you have the Oculus Go, which is for anyone who wants to get into virtual reality but doesn't want to spend hundreds of dollars, but you're not going to get the full experience. Um, so there's a bunch of speculation that they're going to announce their new headset on Thursday, which I'm personally excited for because I'm in the market to purchase a new headset. And I almost made an impulse buy on the Oculus Quest 2 until I saw that their conference where they announced the new headsets was coming up in a week. And I was like, ooh, I will wait for the new one because I have the original Oculus Quest, but it's been out for a couple years now. And we're starting to hit the point where people aren't developing games for the original Quest. Now you need the more advanced software. Uh, one instance is Resident Evil 4 is coming to the Oculus Quests, but they're not developing it for the original. It will only be on the Quest 2 and above models. Um, so they're going to announce that. Uh, probably we'll also talk about their rebrand, which we discussed last episode, and um, the 10,000 employees that they're planning to hire to work on the metaverse in Europe. As we talk about all the time on this podcast, they are all in on the metaverse and Zuckerberg is going to be our emperor. <laughs> At least he surely wants to be. Uh, it's all interesting stuff. 10,000 employees. That'll be interesting because they can't find labor anywhere. I wonder, I wonder if they're going to be able to hire people because this isn't manual labor. I mean, this is all like coding and stuff. I'm starting to wonder if we're going to hit the same problem eventually, but we have with like doctors, lawyers, engineers now where we actually have like too many of them. And are we going to have too many coders at some point? I don't think there's such thing, but could be. We currently don't have enough manual labor, so that'll be interesting, but Facebook will find a way to fix it. Yeah, I don't know if you can have enough coders. It's a, it's a very revered skill. Um, as I've noticed is there's a, if you really sat down and took the time to learn it, there's a low barrier to entry. Uh, you could probably learn it by watching a couple YouTube videos in, in one night, at least the basics of Python, which is a coding language, uh, probably the most popular right now, but the ceiling is extremely high. Yep. To master it is it takes a very talented individual to be able to do the type of stuff that Facebook needs to be able to come proficient at it is something that most can accomplish. But to master is is who gets paid the big bucks. Right. I mean, it's a skill like anything else. But at the same time, it's one of those things that people are going to gravitate to because, you know, our generation grew up with go to school to become a doctor, lawyer, engineer. That's how you make all the money. And now millennials are raising their kids saying, grow up, learn a coding language. That's how you're going to make millions of dollars. Oh, dude, it's it's uh, it's pretty funny. My little sister, she's not in high school anymore, but her senior or junior year in high school, they had a required class for coding. You Good. had to take Python yeah. and learn to write it. It's and the future. I had never heard of that before in my life. Well, I think it's going to only get bigger and crazier, but... You know, those are the people who are going to be programming the stuff that run our lives and that we're going to be like, oh, these darn kids, like, what the heck are they doing now? <laughs> yep. Yeah, it, it's all fun, though. I, I personally love programming, uh, have loved learning it, but it is uh, it can be a headache. Sure. Yeah, I don't understand a darn piece of it. Definitely need to, though. OK, ready to move on? Yep. Next one. Awesome. I, again, don't have the next one. That's you. Uh, Matt, you want to take this one? Alrighty, so Blue Origin, which is Jeff Bezos' space company, plans to launch what they are going to deem Orbital Reef. What this is going to be is going to be a space station, I think they said similarly in size to the International Space Station, that will be a private mixed-use business park in space, and they plan to do this somewhere between 2025 and 2030. Not that far off. Basically, 
It'll be a place where companies can go and rent out space for a period of time and do whatever they want up there, as long as Bezos allows it. And so it's like we work in space is what they teamed it. Sounds like Disney in space, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's funny. Bezos is going to be the king of space and Zuckerberg is going to be the king of the metaverse. Yeah, so seriously. Which, which world is Elon going to rule? Mars. He's taking Mars, remember? <laughs> that's true. He's going to be the emperor of Mars. He's going to be Lord Mars. Now, I, I think that's really interesting. So the issue, I mean, okay, well, if it's little, if it's real estate in space, the funny problem is that the biggest thing you're concerned about with real estate is location. That's what everything comes upon is like, where is this located as far as people are, highways are, products are, shipping lanes, you're in space. You can literally push it wherever it needs to go. That's a weird concept that I'm getting a headache thinking about. Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting because like you'll necessarily have like five companies up there all doing their own thing in this one station. Like maybe you have an American crew up there shooting a movie in one. Oh. You've got scientists in another. You've got a tech company doing weird stuff in the third. Like it'd just be a weird conglomerate of people all doing different work projects in one little area. Yeah, I wonder what those leases look like. <laughs> That's all I could try to think about is like, what are you signing? Like, is it? They, do they want you to be there for 15 years? Do they want you to be paying a whole ton of money? It, it's just a lot to think about. Jeez. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to definitely sleep on that one because I don't even know where to go with uh, real estate and space. But I am ready to move on again if you are. We gotta, we're basically knocking out a couple smaller points for the tech, if that's cool with you guys as well. Yeah, it works for me. Okay, I, again, don't know the next one. I think you guys are covering the whole rest of tech. Yeah, this one was me too. Uh, so basically, Phase Clan, which is the biggest gaming clan, uh, basically just a group of people that play video games, and then they form this group that competes in them, and now they sell merch, and they're like influencers of the gaming world. Anyways, they're going public via SPAC, and oh, they're no. valued at $1 billion. Oh, so God. just like one of those unicorns Joey was talking about. A bunch of guys playing video games is worth $1 billion. This is the next iteration of the uh, the simulation. That's I just, insane. A billion dollars? I mean, I remember when Phase Plan started, whenever uh, back in Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare 2 days, when everyone put Phase at the start of their name because they could hit a quick scope. Uh, this is like 2010, right? Yeah. I, I feel like I'm dating myself here with the quick scope reference. But... <laughs> now they're worth a billion dollars i don't know maybe i'm out of touch and i don't i don't realize how ingrained they are in pop culture and the gaming community nowadays but esports is always interesting to me because people people say like okay how do you make money watching sports or watching you know online video games that people are just playing against each other why is that entertaining and it's like well i can't explain to you why something is entertaining to someone else because that's a very deep psychological issue but what I can explain to you is that there is a massive amount of people that are paying people money to be doing this. They pay to watch it. They donate to people that make them feel as if they're a part of community. And at the same time, you can reach massive audiences very easily. You have platforms like Twitch, God, even the social media platforms, pretty much anywhere where you can act, like make yourself known quickly and have a quick tagline. YouTube's a huge one. So that's how these companies make money is because they have access to the internet in which everyone is connected. They have access to a generation that is craving this kind of thing and has the money to give to you. <laughs> so that's why the thing is so big. If you're were wondering, because I know a lot of people do, I, I have this conversation plenty and it's always a little frustrating for me. 
<laughs> yeah, personally, I love individual streamers, but like I can I can break down to the public why I like watching people stream video games, and it's mostly because I enjoy video games. I like the stories they tell, and I like a lot of the communities that uh, streamers you know kind of create and develop, and the type of you know atmosphere they give off during their streams. And sometimes, you know, after a long day of work, I don't have the energy to play a video game because it does, believe it or not, if you don't play video games out there, it takes a lot of focus and concentration if you don't want to just have a miserable, miserable time. And sometimes it's nice to just sit there and, you know, kick back, relax and watch someone play and interact with their community. Yep. My big point, and this is not for or against it, I truly don't care. I'm pretty neutral on the topic, but mine is always, well you really care about actors, celebrities, or sports players, right? Like you're interested in their storylines and what they're doing and what they're telling, what, you know, anything that's happening with them. It's the same exact concept, just a little different. And I know that always gets people up in arms to hear because they're like, oh, no, sports is all different, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, it's, it's the same thing. It's just an individual that you've taken a personal interest in and their stories and their life. Exactly. People love Tom Brady because they take a personal interest in his life, what he can do and his stories. And that's why he sells everything yeah <laughs> he can yeah. sell you anything he's also a great businessman and he's a florida man which i'm a big fan of <laughs> exactly so it's just similar to these streamers who if you take a personal interest in their life and they say buy something you might buy it and that's how they make money well this is good that, that's a topic i feel like we have never actually touched on and i'm surprised we haven't but it's good that we did get to all right do we have any more on that no okay let's knock out tech we're going to take our half time and then we're going to get the rest done sound good Sounds, Sounds good. Perfect. We got the Hertz one, and I'm going to hijack this one because I, I know someone else did it, but I also had it, so we can bounce off each other for this one. So Hertz put their order in for 100,000 Teslas, and my first thing that I thought of was like, wait a minute, Hertz is bankrupt. How are they doing this? They're not going to be able to pay for those Teslas. <laughs> so I'm a little confused. I don't know how it's going to happen, but it, this, is like a, this is like a really high roller kind of, ro- you know, roll the dice, and whatever happens, happens. We're either we're screwed or we're great. I think it's a great idea though. Like there aren't many rental car companies that are kicking out where you can go rent a Tesla, which I mean, you can do it off Turo and, or or a few different other apps and rent someone's Tesla and check them out. But accessibility for people to go and do this is an interesting thing. And I think it's great for Tesla because a, they get to sell a hundred thousand Teslas, but B gets more people the ability to drive them. And the more people that they get in them because they're so restricted right now, I mean, they're selling off the lots faster than they can get them out. Yep. It means that even more they're going to sell. I don't know a single person who has driven a Tesla that hated it. Not a one. And my biggest argument that I have with people, you know, day to day is like, I, you know, I go in and say, all right, electric car is the future. I really want, I personally want an electric truck badly because I want a truck, but I don't ever want anything that comes with a truck. There's just too much misery and I don't want it, but I want an electric truck because that takes away all the misery. And they say, no, you know, I'm a gas guy all the way. And I'm like, well, have you tried an electric vehicle? And I say, no, I haven't. I said, ah, there's your problem. Try it. You're going to love it. Don't know a single person who has tried it and hated it. Not one. Yeah, I got to drive um, your parents and I love them, but I loved them before I drove them. So maybe I'm a little bit of a biased party, but I just can't understand when I tell people, okay, my goal is to get a Tesla and they act like it's such a ridiculous goal. They act like I just told them that I want to buy a Lamborghini and I'm like, no, you don't understand. Why the hell 
would I pay $24,000 for an effing Honda Civic when I can pay $6,000 more for an electric Tesla, which is a borderline luxury vehicle? And, Are you stupid? And it'll last three times longer, which says a lot for a lot for a Civic. <laughs> Exactly. And the resale value is incredible on Tesla's. So I'm sorry I get so animated about this because people just think I'm telling them, oh, I'm going to go buy a Maserati. No, a Tesla is is not that. The Model 3 is, is not that. Yeah. Maybe if I told you I was going to go buy his high-end model, you can look at me like I'm an idiot. But if I say I'm going to buy a Model 3, it's not an unrealistic goal. No, not at all. And the funny thing is the, the, the used ones are actually cheaper than, uh, they're actually more expensive than the, the new ones. But yeah, I don't, I don't know why. Every time I look at the used inventory, I think I can get a deal and get one tomorrow. And then they're like 37,000 bucks. actually cheaper to get a new one. Yeah, you could literally get one from the factory and minus the fees and everything, it would be, it would be you know, 32,000 bucks and you're done. Exactly. So here's the unrealized gain of this is if we put self-driving in these vehicles, we're going to fix the problem of all the out of town out of town people messing up traffic. I hope they put it in every single one that you've got anybody that comes from out of state, they get in full self-driving Tesla and it makes it so they don't screw it up. I-75 is clear. We're going 80 miles an hour no matter which way. I I have my own opinions on self-driving. It's it's not coming for a while, but all right. Hang on. We got we got to do a halftime and then we're going to jump back in. <laughs> Just I, I love that we're yeah we're trying to fix the snowbirds in Florida, <laughs> but that's never gonna happen. They're all, yeah they're gonna bring their Cadillacs down and still drive like maniacs. Oh yeah, and self driving. Uh, we got to get Elon to stop attacking police officers with before <laughs> we can start mass producing it. Yeah, the memes are too great. Okay, quick <laughs> halftime. Be back in two seconds. Okay, we're back on. Sorry about that. And in the in the halftime, we were talking about. <laughs> Matt, Matt really thinks that there should be an age limit, I guess, is uh, when you when you have to get a self-driving car whenever these are doing their uh, doing their own thing. <laughs> I think it just cracks me up the idea of that we could bully the other cars off the road if they were going too slow. Like, yeah, the self-driving car is going the speed limit. I'm going to get really close. It's going to get nervous and shift over. <laughs> it cracks me up. It's going to be great. I think you hit like 75, 80 years old. I mean, they're hunched over the steering wheel, can barely see it. Their reactions are super slow. I think science is going to be behind us. We need to stop them driving. And the solution is they want to keep their license. They got to get a full self-driving car. Uh, it does the work. We're safer. I'm not, I'm not an ageist. You know what? I, I think I'm still going to be driving at 80. I'm going to have my old Ed Corvette or something like that, old Mustang. And I'm, I'm going to be a menace on the road, but a menace in a good way, too fast. <laughs> you know, say, what well, you get pulled over and someone's like, what are you doing? Like, I'm living my life, Sonny. <laughs> Enjoying myself. I don't want to be ageist, but I just think the statistics are on our side when it comes to how safe they are on the road. And I know down here in South Florida, I'm in the Bradenton, Sarasota area. Oh yeah. It's South dangerous Florida. being around them. Oh, I swear. I, I will swear by this. The further South in Florida you go, the worse the drivers get. And it is not just, it is not just you know, old timers. It is the younger kids too, that are, a, they're awful. They're a menace on the road terrible like the entirety of south florida is just dangerous to be if you're driving oh it scares me to think about it and the worst part is is the cars they're driving are like crazy expensive like yeah. i've almost got hit by a bentley so many times oh. that like i'm terrified i'm just going to go so deep in debt it's impossible to think of when i wreck a bentley yeah it's definitely not what you want all right 
I, it's <laughs> another one that we should probably just leave. We're going to be here for another 20 minutes. <laughs> okay, let's do Saudi Arabia, and then we're going to tackle uh, DeFi. We're going to hit medicine stuff, and we're going to wrap this sucker up. Sound good? Sounds good. Awesome. Who's got Saudi right. Arabia? So Saudi Arabia pledged to go net zero emissions by 2060. Oh, interesting. So kind of along the plan that Joey was talking about, all the companies are planning 2050. I think it said there's a few other countries uh, that were planning to go by the same time too. But the interesting thing is we get the world's largest oil producer is going to go green. They're getting and my nervous. my question was, is it a true shift away from fossil fuels? No, they're just covering their own asses. Like they, they know that we're like the world's trying to move away and they're like, oh crap, we have been rich for so long. What are we going to do when the thing that made us rich is gone? So that was their thing is they're not planning to really go green. Their plan is, is they're going to plant a whole bunch of trees, <laughs> rehab some land, and they're going to invest in carbon captured uh, technologies. So basically like these big giant vacuum cleaners that suck air and then they filter out all the CO2 and carbon they've kicked out and they make little carbon bricks. So it's like, we're not really going to change anything, but we're just going to try to like suck up all the bad stuff we're kicking out. Their plan is to not have a plan. So you want to know what I think the problem with the whole net zero emissions thing is? It's goofy. And the issue is not that you're trying to do something great and failing. We can do that later. The issue is that the way you're getting to net zero is that you're buying other companies' credits for emissions. And so it doesn't have anything to do with you trimming down your own operations. It's just the companies that pollute a ton spend a lot of money to buy the credits from other companies that don't pollute at all or take pollution out of the air. And they use those credits so they can continue just to pump fumes into the air. So like you've kind of just said, here's my credit card. I'm rich. Deal with it. I think it's funny think that it, a lot of the companies are setting the date off so far too, like 2050, 2060. Yeah. And the cynic in me likes to think that it's because by then the execs will be retired or dead and they're like, not our problem. Agreed. That's 30 <laughs> years in the future. Most execs are what, 60, 70? And they're like, whatever, don't care at that point. Yeah, set the well, date that far out, it's years. someone else's problem. Yeah, and if they're if you're retiring, it's not a big deal. So, uh, yeah, I, I am in the same boat as you guys, and I'm, it's goofy. I think 2025, we're going to have everything kind of hammered down because, and the reason I say that, Matt, you're going to back me up here, is that every gosh darn time one of these stupid car companies comes out and they're like, yeah, we're going to keep our internal combustion engine forever. Like Mercedes is like, we're never getting rid of the V8s, blah, 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 blah. One year later, less than a year later, you know what? We've really committed. We're going to have no more internal combustion engines by 2025, 2028. And I'm like, you absolute liars. You're just, you're saying stupid things like never and always. Those are words you should never, ever use. But see, it doesn't matter for them. And I know I talked to you about this. Is they can say yeah, whatever they want. I know. And that will appease that crowd that they were uh, pandering to at that time. That'll <laughs> pander to the internal combustion engine crowd and they'll love it. Yep. And they'll go buy their cars. And then once all they buy their cars, a year later, they'll pander to the electric crowd and then all of them will buy their cars. It doesn't matter. It's not hurting them. And once they see that there's value in switching, then they're going to switch. And that's just what it is. You're right. And it's upsetting. And I should not be upset about it. But it just it bugs me because every time I'm sitting here trying to have brand loyalty, the brand goes around and just like acts like a scumbag. <sighs> Oh, well, I still love Ferraris. They've never done anything because they've been honest that they're scumbags the entire time. <laughs> if you're going to do something stupid, be honest about it. They're like, look, we make a product. We know who we are. We know who we sell to. And that's okay. Yeah. 
I mean, if they know their market and they know their brand, just stick with it. And if you're honest about it, then people are just looking for it. Shoot, you're right about that. Okay, all right, we crushed tech. So I got no real estate besides all the anecdotes you had. So we're gonna jump right into crypto and DeFi. I love the first thing you have up. Whoever's got it, dive in, let's do it. So I don't have much more than the tagline, but Walmart is putting, uh, well, they're piloting 200 locations that are going to have Bitcoin ATMs in them. I, all right. So I know I just said I loved it, but I hate the execution. I, I like the thought, I hate the execution. Bitcoin is fine, it is what it is. It's the gold of the future. If, if we had gold ATMs where people could withdraw their gold bricks, no one would use it. It's stupid. If they had something to where you can withdraw anything, any kind to your phone and trade it at that given time, move money around, access to funds is important. That is valuable. If everyone has access, but at the same time, you have your phone with you. You can literally do everything from your phone. Why do you need an ATM? Yeah, I agree with you here too, because if I'm going to pay for something with Bitcoin, it would probably be like a large ticket item. Yeah. I don't think I'd pay for a box of Ho-Hos at the local Walmart with my Bitcoin. Yeah, because that's going to be 0.00001, something like that. And you have to do a complicated calculation. Your brain's like, why do I give a shit? Why don't I just use my dollars? It's so much easier. Yep. I'll take out my $1 and hand it to the cashier, but maybe that's just because we're old men now. I, I don't want to do math. I, I have a credit card and I do my budget at the end of the month. It's easy. It's super easy for me. I If you have to do math in a transaction, you shouldn't be there in the first place because you obviously can't afford it or you just shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, that's the only thing I thought of is like, you're not going to be buying Bitcoin at these ATMs. Essentially. No. You're going to be like getting it back. And I guess if you're one of these teens or someone that's really big into crypto, you can go in and you say, okay, I need $50 of Bitcoin and it'll subtract that 0. 0.000 whatever of Bitcoin from your account and it'll give you the $50 in cash and you go buy your new video game from the Walmart section. That's the only thing I see it as really. Yeah, no, it's literally like a knickknack. It's cute. I, I'm glad Walmart's doing it, but again, it's cute. That's about it. Yeah, Can I, I think I saw online, it costs like something like $6,000. To put in the so, ATM? Yeah, just the ATM itself costs that much. So like, that's, that's a whole that lot of money. And they got to generate that back somehow. Well, I guess 6,000 times 200 is plenty, but like 6,000 alone is not that big of a deal. I mean, Walmart, a Walmart store, I can't even imagine has how much profit per month. They've got to be loaded. Yeah, I don't know. But it, like, it's a small drop in the bucket for them, but I just don't know if it's really going to generate that much money at all. Yeah, I mean, whatever. They're just pulling fees. Okay, we can agree it's just kind of a fad. Mm-hmm. All right. Awesome. Next one. <laughs> All right. Next thing we got in crypto DeFi here, Adobe Photoshop is integrating a quote, prepare as NFT end quote option into their software. And I love this uh, because I used to use Adobe Photoshop a ton, um, partly for personal boredom, just <laughs> fun to do. Uh, also partly because I took it as an elective in high school and then again in college and it was also fun. Um, and I, I love the idea. I mean, this is just, we talk about it all the time, making NFTs accessible to more people, letting more people get involved in it. It promotes creativity. I mean, I could get on Photoshop right now and whip something up and then hit prepare as NFT. And, uh, you know, this, this has other advantages as well, besides accessibility, they're rolling it out as part of their 
content credentials package, which essentially is a way for NFT sellers to be able to link their Adobe ID with their crypto wallet. And it proves a source of authenticity for the art that they're producing. So it's a good thing, you know, uh, hopefully get some of these scams out of the way and some of these people that are just throwing junk out into the marketplace right now. All right, it brings a little more mainstream and that adds value, I think, is now that if you can claim ownership to anything, everything is a little bit better. So for marketing material, I think this is gonna be a great thing. Did you see the story, uh, it was yesterday or today, about how BJ Novak, the guy, was one of the guys on The Office, the American version, someone accidentally uploaded his face onto like a stock photo, something or other, and now his face and his likeness are just accidentally all over the world on all these products because companies just pulled it from the stock image thing. And he was like, he's laughing because he says, you know what, I'm famous, like I don't care, this is hilarious, but it's, that can be ownership you claim. And now like that could be trackable. It just kind of gets me thinking like, that would be a great way to fix that. Although I know he doesn't care. Yeah, for anyone out there that's a, an avid Office fan, but doesn't know who BJ Novak is, he was Ryan. <laughs> um, but yeah, I agree. It's a, a great, great way around it. I didn't see the article, but that's that's hilarious. And you're right, if he wanted to, I mean, he could claim ownership and probably get some money off that, but I don't think he's hurting in the pocketbook right now. No. So where I'm seeing this being used is especially on social media because there's a lot of scams and there's a lot of people pretending to be other people. All you have to do is whenever you're going into anything is basically code your, code the picture. So when someone tries to use it, it alerts you, it lets you know. You should be able to get a tag from that. Yeah, I love that. That'd be great because it is so easy to just screenshot something and claim ownership, you know? Yep. So. Well, we got to solve that one too. But okay, pretty light on the crypto DeFi. We're running extra long, so let's knock out medicine and be done. Sound good? Let's do it. Let's go. Okay, Master, you're up. A resident doctor. <laughs> All righty. So there's been a massive boom in psychedelic medicine oh in the boy. past year oh boy so one year ago psychedelic medicine using things like mushrooms psilocybin that type thing had a one billion market cap Jeez. now there are four companies that each have a one billion valuation it's easy enough to invest in this industry and it's one of like the meme industries i think because i see it advertised all the time People say, oh, get into investing in psychedelic drugs. And I'm like, okay, this sounds like a massive thing for the SEC to just ping you on over and over and over again. Or these all these are all like, this is just the cannabis industry 10 years ago, or it was just tiny little micro cap stuff that is now one in a million times exploding. Yeah, so like there's a big push to use it to treat things like depression, PTSD, anxiety, that type of thing. They're trying to do a lot of research on it. But just like marijuana, like, the marijuana companies are doing fine, but the research companies are backlogged because it's still illegal. Yeah. So it's very difficult for them to get their hands on this and then to do the research and the whole approval process. So as much as, I mean, it's grown four times, 400% a year, but like, it's not gonna grow super, super fast unless it's decriminalized. Right, and I think you'd be better off betting on the cannabis industry because that is on its way to being regulated and becoming a mainstream thing. So. I don't know, but it is, oh, it's so interesting. I love how medicine's opening up and we're starting to kind of look past the laws that were written 120 years ago about this kind of stuff and say, all right, well, let's try some new stuff. Let's get new industries and new solutions going. Yeah, I know. I saw this thing and it's been blowing up my Instagram and whatever else for the past few weeks of how 
everybody's saying that, oh, modern medicine was created by John D. Rockefeller because he wanted to push petroleum products and make a ton of money off it. I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. And that's, and they're like, that's why it is today. But like, regardless of that, I think we're seeing that as, as a general trend, we're starting to go back to some of the Western medicine ways, the traditional Chinese medicine. We're finding these are natural products that people have used for hundreds or thousands of years, and they have beneficial health. Uh, well, they have health benefits, and we're finding that they might be just as good as what we've been taking in these harmful pills. Sure. You know, I'm the first one to denounce the whole pharmaceutical industry. I think it's unbelievable. I, I, I have people that are like, oh, I have to take these four things a day just to even operate correctly. I'm like, you don't see anything wrong with this? Like, even go down to coffee, because I know that, Joey, you're a huge coffee guy. Caffeine is technically the most popular, uh, what is it? It's like a psychoactive drug on the planet just because everyone uses it and no one seems to question what they're doing. But there's things that are less harmful out there that are not mainstream and they've just been manipulated by lawmakers and industry makers. I agree 100%. (laughs) I didn't know if you were. (laughs) I am a coffee guy. Yeah. So that's how you know it's crazy that I agree. Um, But... Coffee is a drug. If it you is. never stop to think about it, Caffeine it is. changes your behavior. It affects the way you think and act. It's a drug. Yep. Well, it's no different than marijuana. I'd argue. Some would argue against me. The only difference is marijuana slows you down and, and lets you, you know, kind of relax and unwind. Coffee speeds you up, and <laughs> you can, you know, get going and get a lot done. And I can bust out. 40 emails in an hour and make my 15 phone calls in a morning. Uh, you're right about that. And Matt's point is interesting is that the market has, ex- it's, it's kind of like, it was like a silent boom almost because I hadn't really heard about it. But if it's quadruple, more than quadrupled, it's become pretty massive in size, I guess, at this point. Uh, that has a lot of potential for some early investors to make some money. I think so. And I think some people already are over in, was it Washington that recently legalized? Washington state legalized uh, mushrooms? I couldn't tell you. Some state did and they had some funky laws, but I don't know if we have enough info to go into that. Yeah, it's politics. Yeah, You know, I'm not brave enough for politics. No, God, me either. That's, I know, <laughs> that's a, quote there. I was about to say, that's an Obi-Wan Kenobi quote. That was pretty good. <laughs> Snuck yeah. that one by me. Yeah, I'm not brave enough for politics. Yeah, we should solve problems like blindness and hearing hearing problems first. Speaking of which, Matt, isn't that your next one? Yes, that's perfect, John. So scientists have created a brain implant that uh, will create a form of vision for a blind person. Oh, how do they do that? Basically what it is is they use a camera lens that's embedded in a, uh, like a glasses frame that they'll wear on their head. And it transmits to a a microelectrode that is attached inside the person's brain. And it allows them to see basic images. They were able to uh, just figure out like the borders of objects, see like large letters and that type thing. So it's nothing anywhere close to what we're able to see. But for someone who's not able to see at all, it would help a lot to just be able to navigate around in the space that they live in. It's an enormous improvement of life. Yeah, I mean, like to be able to walk out of bed and you don't need your uh, walking cane to like feel it out. You'll be able to see the doorway to the bathroom, to like any objects that move in your way. You'll be able to navigate the space that you live in and work in so much easier, especially if it evolves from day to day. That's a pretty uplifting final topic. When is that like when is that mainstream now? 
uh, probably about at the same time that Elon gets his Neuralink working. It'll be a while. <laughs> or when we get the woolly mammoths all revived. Mm-hmm. It'll be a while before it's mainstream, I assume. It's just one of those things they're toying around with, but it'll be a long while before it's put out on the market for people to see, like you see as a prosthetic arm. I love it. Yeah. I mean, that'd be a great treatment, but improvement of life is the whole point of technology, right? Yes, sir. I love it. Okay. Anything else, guys? Um, no, I think we tackled a ton here today. A uh, quote to take us out on. Uh, got a quote here by Bertrand Russell, a famous philosopher and mathematician. He said, the trouble with the world is that the stupid are cocksure and the intelligent are all full of doubt. <laughs> Simple, but good. I like it. Would you believe we went on? We prattled on for a whole hour today. That is, uh, you know, it's a lengthy episode, but it was full of good stuff. Gotta love the 30. We gotta do something good for 52. Oh, maybe, uh, maybe we have a couple cocktails before. Oh, that'd be a lot of fun. Get a little interview going <laughs> or something. Oh, that'd be great. Okay. Yeah. We'll get that set up. But either way, I think that wraps it up for today. Everyone, right? Yes, sir. All right. Yep. Fantastic. So we're going to catch you Friday morning per usual and lead you into the rest of the week. So enjoy. Be as productive as possible and just remember that technology is awesome. Have a good week. <laughs>